right. Well, now, if you've got your Bibles, and I know many of you do, uh, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and go to the Gospel of John. We are in John 21 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, go. I always, I like, I'm old school. I like a, a paper Bible, but if you've got the Bible on your phone, you can do that. Uh, or if you've got a tablet or something like that, we'll also put it up on the screen, of course. Um, but I uh, want to invite you to go to John 21. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the service this morning, uh, we are finishing up a sermon series, a 44-week sermon series. I've never done a 44-week sermon series before, but uh, you've survived. Congratulations. I've survived. It's been a great journey, uh, I think. And, and those of you who have been on this journey know that we began in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, looking at Jesus comes on the scene. He invites and calls a handful of people, the disciples, to follow him. And then he performs that first miracle at Cana. And then he does some more miracles. Uh, some Jesus, uh, John calls them signs uh, that point to Jesus. He heals people. He teaches people. He feeds 5,000, and there's this Jesus movement going, and more and more people are following. And, and the, the, the kind of the Jesus movement, it's just this big crescendo of more people. The, the word's getting out that the Messiah, we just wonder if this might be the Messiah who has come. And things get really, really, uh, going really, really good and really, really strong until one day Jesus is standing in front of the people. He's teaching yet again, and this time he starts saying some really strange things. He talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Remember that? And then John tells us, at that point in time, many people walked away and no longer followed him. And so Jesus was this very polarizing person. He said all these strange, crazy things, uh, but on the other hand, they were just drawn to him because he was, he was just this person who was filled with love. And over and over, he talked about the kingdom of God and that how he, as the son of God, had come down and he was going to dwell among God's people. And so there was just this excitement, this anticipation, this wondering, but also this, who is this guy? He is saying some really strange things. And then, of course, we got to this place in John where uh, the, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem after three and a half years of ministry. And there's, uh, he's riding on the colt on the back of a donkey. And people are laying down palm leaves uh, shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there was this big old parade. And there, were the, 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 there was just so much excitement and tension in Jerusalem. And of course, that was the last week of Jesus' life. And then we slowed down going through John, looking at those last hours, those last days of his life. We looked at the upper room discourse where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And then he teaches them about what they are to, to, to do. That's how they're to live their lives. And then he says, guys, I'm going away. I'm leaving but fear not, uh, don't be afraid, because I'm sending the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, uh, who's going to dwell among you, who's going to continue to lead you and guide you. And the disciples are thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, we left our fishing business for this. And they're kind of freaking out. And they go into this really bad place of now what are we going to do? Uh, what, how in the world do we live our lives? And uh, towards the end of the week, they share a meal together. And uh, it, was, it was a good meal, but it was a confusing meal. Judas gets up. He goes out and betrays Jesus. Peter's like, I will never deny you. And of course, he ends up denying Jesus uh, three times. They go to the garden. Jesus is praying. The soldiers show up. They arrest him. 
Jesus goes through six different trials, three civic trials and three religious trials. He's convicted and said that he's supposed to hang on a cross to die. But before he's going to hang on a cross, they're going to beat him. They're going to whip him. Uh, they're going to torture him to the very point where he almost dies. And they're like, okay, now let's have him go out to, to, to the Golgotha, to Calvary. And we talked about this, the place of the skull. And so as they, they take him out there. Of course, they crucified Jesus. Everybody is freaking out. They're afraid. They go home. There's just a handful of folks who stick around with Jesus. Remember that? It was the ladies. It was the ladies who were there with Jesus and the disciple John who stood there at the cross as Jesus is, uh, dies ultimately. And after he dies, everybody's like, okay, okay, let's go home. It's over. And so half the people just go home because all the energy is out of the room and the other half are just like, well, um, they're, they're sad. And then the disciples, of course, are like, well, everybody knew us as the disciples, so are we going to be killed next? And so they go into hiding, and they're, they're afraid, and they're, they're scared that the, the, uh, the, the Romans and the, and the religious leaders are going to come after them next. And then we looked at the story of how on that first Easter morning, Jesus shows up. Mary, goes to, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. It was the ladies who were coming to clean up after the guys who had uh, quickly prepared his body for the dead. And then we looked at these conversations between uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, Jesus and the disciples, and everybody's trying to figure out, okay, now what? The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen, and it's this moment of, okay, everything, the world just changed again. Now what do we do? The tomb is empty. How do we live our lives? And that's what we're going to pick up today is this whole idea of, okay, now what? Everything has changed in the world. And they're in the season of now what? And maybe you've come this morning and you're in a season of now what? I mean, the world has changed in the last few years. America has changed. Our culture has changed. Our community has changed. Our families have changed. I'm in a new season myself. My, my, I've, got, I've got this season with my parents who are aging. And all of a sudden, my brother and I are talking about how do we care for our aging parents. I'm, I'm not used to that. I'm used to my parents taking care of me, right? Being my cheerleader. And all of a sudden, my parents have got health issues. And they're getting older. And then I'm also in another season of change where my, my kids, are, they're young adults now. And they're doing what they do, and they don't need me anymore. I don't know that they ever needed me. But it's just like, okay, how, how am I in relationship with my kids, my young adult kids? And so it feels like there's just change all the way around. And once upon a time, I felt like, you know, a young guy. I, I don't feel like a young guy anymore, but I also... I also don't feel terribly old. I mean, I've, I've done and I've experienced and I've lived some life, but I don't feel like I'm done yet. So I'm, I'm in this weird place, in this weird season of in-between. This, okay, now what? So if you've come this morning and you've got some now what in your life, I think you're in the right place because this is absolutely where the disciples were. Did I give you enough time to get to John 21? Awesome. Let's pray. God, as we um, reflect on your word again this morning, just continue to journey through the gospel of John. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. 
for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, several years ago, um, I picked up a book called uh, Canoeing the Mountains by Pastor Todd Balsinger. And I was intrigued by the title. Uh, I like hiking in the mountains, and uh, I also like canoeing, um, uh, kayaking, really. And I just had really never put the two together. And of course, that's kind of a, an odd title. We, don't, we go canoeing uh, in water, and we go hiking in the mountains. But it's Canoeing the Mountains. And there's really the story of Lewis and Clark. And if you looked at the lives of Lewis and Clark and all, at all, uh, in 1803, President Thomas Jefferson said, we need to find a passageway uh, to the Pacific Ocean. And so he talked to some different people and he found uh, these two guys, Lewis and Clark. And he came to them and said, guys, we got a big problem. Everybody's trying to find a quick passage uh, to the Pacific Ocean. And the Europeans are coming in and they're trying to, uh, you know, figure this out. It, it, it was their time, their day where they're trying to, everybody's trying to get over there so they could say it was all about the money. And it was all about ways in which they could transport goods across the United States. Well, not, at the time, uh, all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And so Lewis and Clark said, Sign us up. We'll do that. We'll just follow the Ohio and the Missouri River upstream. And when we get there, uh, we'll just pick up the next river and we'll go uh, all, you know, all the way over uh, into the Pacific Ocean. So that's, of course, what they did is they paddled upstream up the Missouri River. Many of you know this uh, until they got to, a play, to the Continental Divide, right, in, in Montana. And when they got to the Continental Divide, they're like, oh, the, you know, the river is now just a trickle. And by the way, there's some mountains up ahead. What are we going to do? And in that moment in time, Lewis and Clark, they really saw two options. Turn around and go home, because you can't paddle canoes through the mountains. Or drop their, drop their canoes, drop their gear, make some major adjustments to their lives, and keep going. I think the global church faces a similar challenge today. We've been going along upstream. We're trying to figure it out. And, and for the most part, it's worked for many, many years. But all of a sudden, we've got the, I'll just say the metaphorical Rocky Mountains in front of us. Now, what do we do? And as we've watched the church, the global church, respond to this change world, many people just decided to go home. Now, most churches don't admit defeat, but what they do do is they get in their, 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 their boats and they just quietly keep paddling because as they're looking around, everything still looks familiar. They keep practicing all their same practices, but they're really going back home. And we see this in the church today as churches continue to decline spiritually, decline in numbers, and things are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. The churches that are not, that have not given up, they're changing. They're putting things down, everything that's familiar. And they've said to one another, okay, we're going to keep pressing forward because we believe this journey is still worth it, that the abundant life is still worth it. But if we're going to keep going, we're going to have to change. We're going to have to do things differently. 
And we're going to have to be stretched and move out of our comfort zones like never before. And that was the story of Lewis and Clark. And I think that is the story for us today. And I think that was the story for the disciples as they're trying to figure out what it means to live life now that Jesus has come back, the tomb is empty. But the church hasn't been established yet. There's kind of not kind of this whole formal thing yet. They haven't been given their, their marching orders just yet. So when they're, they're in this really crazy time. They knew what it was like to be Jewish. They knew what their old lives were like. But now everything before them was much like the Rocky Mountains. So we're going to pick up here in John 21, uh, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So just pause there for a moment. We, of course, know that there were 12 disciples, but on this day there were about seven disciples who were gathered together. And you, you know this story. Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave in Jerusalem. Now they're back up in Galilee, which is about 100 miles north. Why did they go back up to Galilee? And why did they decide to go fishing? I think they went up to Galilee because it was familiar. That's what they did before Jesus came to them and said, follow me. So it's kind of like when, when you're going through a season of uh, turbulence, a season of uncertainty, a season of unknown, you're like, I'm going to go to my happy place. I'm going to go to where it's comfortable, where I know what to do. And Peter was a professional fisherman. So when Peter didn't know what else to do, he's like, hey, I'm going fishing, folks. That's what I know how to do. And so they go to this place that is very familiar to them, and they knew how to fish. And it says that they went uh, fishing at night. And they went fishing at night for a couple reasons. One is you would fish at night because it was hot during the day, so it was just cooler at night. Secondly, you would go fishing at, the night because whatever, uh, at night because whatever you caught at night, you would bring to the market the next morning. And so when people would come to the market the next day to come uh, buy fish, they got fresh fish. And so it was, it was good for the customers as well. And so what they would do at night as they're fishing at night is they would have torches or lamps in the boat. And those lights, those of you night fishermen know, that that would draw the fish to the surface and then they would throw out their nets and they would catch the fish. And these guys, they knew how to catch fish. Normally. Normally they knew how to catch fish. But what John tells us is that night they caught nothing. And so I looked up the Greek word for nothing and it's nothing. They didn't catch anything. Zero. When I used to go fishing with my grandpa, uh, he, 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 we'd come every now and then, we wouldn't catch much, and we would have to come home, the, the drive home from the fishing trip, uh, the, the drive of shame, right? And we'd walk in the door, and my grandma would say, hey, did you catch any fish? And my grandpa would say, we got skunked. And everybody knew they got a nothing burger on this day. No fish. And so the story continues, not going well. Uh, verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, 
but his disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the, other, on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So now it's morning time. And, you know, they've been fishing all night, didn't catch any fish. It's morning time. And Jesus is on the shore and he yells out to these professional fishermen, Hey, did you catch any fish? Nope. We got skunked. We got nothing. So in that moment, I just I think this is just a, a, a great part of the story that Jesus gives these professional fishermen advice of how to fish. Jesus was not a fisherman. He grew up in a community, I don't know, 10, 15 miles away from the Sea of Galilee. He was a carpenter. That was his expertise. He was not a fisherman. And yet Jesus goes and says to the professional fishermen, hey guys, let me tell you how to fish. It's a great part of the story. But at some level, we shouldn't be surprised. Because over and over, Jesus claimed to be God. In other words, even though Jesus was not a professional fisherman, he's the one that made the fish. He's the one that created the fish. And we have to be reminded over and over and over that Jesus is the expert in all things. And so Jesus can give advice to the scientist because he created science. Jesus can give advice to the mathematician because he created those things. Jesus can give advice about people because he created us. Jesus is, is God. And so he's giving this advice to these professional fishermen. And I also, another detail I want to lift out of this story is just Jesus asks them the question, did you catch any fish? Did you catch any fish? And Jesus, being God, he knows the answer to that question. He already knows the answer. And yet he still asks the question. He could have shown up that morning and said, hey guys, since you didn't catch any fish, here's what I want you to do. But he, that's not how he engages them. He, he first asks them the question, did you catch any fish? Why does Jesus ask a question that he already knows the answer to? And Jesus does this over and over throughout, throughout Scripture. We read this over and over. He asks people questions even though he already knows the answer. And I think on this day, the reason why Jesus asked the question, did you catch any fish? is because he wanted the guys in the boat to admit their failure. There's something really powerful when we go through our effort doing what we're doing. We come to the end of ourselves and we just speak it out loud. I failed. Because when we acknowledge that all of our work, all of our efforts aren't good enough, then and only then do I think, do we become open to Jesus in our lives? See, if they had caught a few fish and Jesus had given them fishing advice, they'd be like, yeah, we're doing okay. Isn't that true in your life too? Only when you fully acknowledge that your efforts, your work, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, someone to come and rescue you, only in that moment 
Are you open to the person of Jesus in your life? Otherwise, you're out there doing it on your own. And I think this is the great challenge for us as Americans is we're, we're pretty good at doing it on our own. We're not so good at acknowledging our failure and our shortcomings. And I think this is what's going on in the story is, is Jesus is kind of teeing him up. He's buttering him up. And so when he says, hey, throw down your nets on the other side, they're open to it. Now, in, the, in ancient times, when uh, fishermen were out fishing, they were in these boats. They were about 29 feet long and about seven feet wide was how big the boats were. And so when Jesus says, uh, throw down your net on the other side, it's only about seven and a half feet difference from this side of the boat to that side of the boat, to which all of us would be like, what difference does that make? That makes no difference at all, right? That's a pretty silly uh, piece of fishing advice. But I love that in the story here, as, as John records it, that is, n nobody said, wait a minute, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. Wait a second, Jesus, we're, we're professional fishermen and you're giving us fishing advice? Nobody raises their hand and says, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense at all. They just do it. There's this act of obedience. When you come to the end of yourself, when you acknowledge your own failure, I think then you're open to being obedient to who Jesus is in our lives. When we openly admit our failure. And we've talked about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, there's really only two ways to live our lives, according to John. We either live for ourselves, our own uh, passions, our own emotions, the things we like, the things we want to do, or we live for Jesus. We surrender our lives. I mean, there's, there's really, we see this over and over. There's, there's just two options. I'm going to either live for me or I'm going to live for Jesus. And I'm going to surrender and do what he tells me to do, even when I don't understand it. And so in this moment, this is what the disciples uh, are, are given this choice, this option. Last week, uh, I was at the grocery store, and uh, I ran into Sue, and many of you know Sue, and uh, Sh Sue and Kevin were standing in front of all the flowers at the grocery store, and they were bringing the flowers uh, for Sunday worship, and so as they're standing at the flowers, you got to imagine there's just all these beautifully colored flowers in the flower section at the grocery store. And because it was All Saints weekend, we, our color was white, right? And so Sue was in a dilemma. She's like, all right, there's all these beautiful, you know, vibrant colors of flowers, but then there's just like a couple white flowers. Well, you know what Sue's assignment was? To get white flowers to bring to church, right? So she's in a dilemma. What do I do? I want the colorful flowers for church, but I'm supposed to bring the white flowers for church. And so we had this great, you know, back and forth. It was just probably a 30-second conversation. And she said, you know, this is what I want, but this is what I'm going to do. I said, Sue, that'll preach. That's really what it means to be a Jesus follower, isn't it? And this is what we see on that day that they're fishing. Am I going to do what I want, or am I going to obey and do what Jesus has called me to do, even though I don't understand it. Are we going to argue with God or are we going to obey God? Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved and said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, uh, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Now was the time, uh, now, this was now the time, the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he, raised, he was raised from the dead. When uh, they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you uh, do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, where, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread that, uh, among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things uh, uh, as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Now, there's a lot in there, and I'm not going to go into all of it uh, this morning because I know so many of you have been reading through this, and I think uh, Chuck Swindoll does a really nice job unpacking many of the details, and I know many of you in your life groups have been talking about this stuff and, and many of these details, um, and so I just want to hit a couple things um, from this whole passage uh, that I just read about. First, I just kind of want to lay out there uh, the obvious before Jesus dies on the cross, Peter denies him three times. After the resurrection now, Jesus comes to Peter, and it's this whole idea, as Jeff talked about at the beginning, it's this idea of forgiveness and restoration. Jesus restores the relationship. And Jesus restores the relationship, not because all of a sudden Peter got it, or all of a sudden Peter is super Peter. He restores the relationship um, because he loves him. Not because Peter deserves it, 
but simply because Jesus comes to Peter and he wants to restore this relationship. And I love that, that the Gospel of John brings together this idea of forgiveness and restoration. Second, um, in the course of this conversation between Jesus and Peter, Jesus says to Peter, hey, this is how you're going to die. It's going to be an act of obedience. Because before the resurrection, Peter was disobedient. He was out to save his own skin, right? People came up to him like, hey, you're one of the disciples, right? And he's like, I don't even know that guy. He was taking care of himself. He was focused on his own needs, his own desire, this whole idea of self-preservation. But Jesus says, you're not always going to be that guy who is so focused on yourself. At some point in time, you are going to obey me, and you too are going to die on a cross. And that's that whole conversation that goes back and forth. And, and the reason, of course, that Peter dies on a cross is because he refuses to worry about himself. He refuses to just kind of live in this world of self-preservation and how he is feeling. He says, and Jesus says, Peter, it's okay. You're going to be obedient to me and you are going to die on a cross. And so this is how the Gospel of John comes together and finishes up. It's a story of, of abundance, this abundant catch. First, when the disciples are doing it on their own, they catch nothing. When they obey and actually do what Jesus says, they don't just catch a few fish, they catch so many that they can't even haul them into the boat. It's an abundant catch. And we read this over and over throughout the gospel is whenever we obey Jesus, he doesn't just show up and take care of us. He shows up and he takes care of us in abundance. So it's this idea of fishing. And he says, hey, guys, when you listen to me, when you actually obey me, when you put aside your own needs, your own desires, your own feelings, and do what I tell you to do, even when it doesn't make any sense, even when you don't understand, I am going to give you an abundant harvest. And this is what he does in the story. And of course, this is what Jesus does for us. And then he forgives us. And no matter how much we mess up, no matter how much we deny him, no matter how much we go our own way, like Peter, Jesus forgives and offers forgiveness and he restores the relationship. And then he looks at Peter and says, follow me. And I love how this story comes full circle all the way back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When Peter was a professional fisherman, doing what professional fishermen do, out minding his own business, along comes Jesus and says, follow me. And so the story of Jesus and Peter begins at the Sea of Galilee. And, and at this point in time, there's Jesus and Peter at the Sea of Galilee. And the language is the same. Follow me. Finding Philip, Jesus said to him, John and the other disciples, follow me. And I love this idea of following Jesus. Jesus doesn't just show up and say, hey, believe in me or trust uh, uh, or uh, think about me and believe me to be true. But it's this idea of, of action, this, this idea of, of following. When we follow someone, we're moving, we're going somewhere. 
And I think we've talked about this over and over in our American culture. When we talk about uh, believing in Jesus, it's kind of this idea of uh, it just lives in our head. Oh, I believe that Jesus is who Jesus says he is. But that belief in our head doesn't leave to act, lead to action. And so when Jesus says, follow me, what he's talking about is believe in me, trust in me. And again, we've talked about this over and over over these 44 weeks. Follow me. Trust in me. Believe in me. And of course, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why would the disciples do that? And why should we do that? And Jesus says in John 10, as he's explaining to them about why they should follow him, he says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. In these words, Jesus tells us his mission statement, that why he has come. He's come, I have come to you. I have come into the world so that you can have life and have it abundantly. By the way, there's someone else who is in the world. It's the enemy of God. It's Satan. It's Lucifer. And, and, and Jesus, in, the, in this text, he gives us the mission statement, the devil, to kill, steal, and destroy. So there's this battle going on in our lives and in the world. And the enemy is in this world and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy your passion in life. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy your marriage relationship. The enemy in this world wants to kill, steal, and destroy your witness for Jesus. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy your faith in Jesus. This is what the enemy does. He's trying to kill, steal, and destroy your vocation and who God has called you to be in this world. And we can never forget that Satan is moving in this, in this world and he's, he's whispering at you, he's speaking at you, and he's trying to distract you from following Jesus. He says that's the, that's the enemy's agenda, to kill, steal, and destroy your life. He says, but I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. I've come because I want good for you. I want the very best for you. And I want this relationship for, between you and me to be restored. It's about abundance. It's life. Jesus has come to us. And he's, when he says, follow me, he says, I want you to follow me. And when you follow me, you will experience life and abundance. And so this morning, I want to kind of come back to this whole idea of canoeing the mountains and what does it mean for us, I think, to experience abundance as individuals and also as a congregation. I want to spend just a, a few moments kind of looking back over where God has brought us thus far, but then also looking ahead to 2023 and beyond. So the first thing I want to say, uh, and I think it's always important to kind of look back, just to take a few moments to look back. One of the things that we're celebrating, we've celebrated in uh, 2022 this year, is five years of being a congregation. Five years ago, five families uh, from this congregation came to my wife and I and said, hey, would you consider starting a church in Bloomington Normal? No. Not interested. Don't know how. Um, never even thought about it. No. And then we talked some more. We prayed about it, 
we said, all right, we're just going to see what the Holy Spirit is up to here. And we'll, we'll give it a shot for a few years. And after three years, this doesn't work out. We'll all just kind of go our separate ways. But here we are, five years later, as a congregation. We continue to thrive. We continue to uh, be in relationship and grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, many of you who are in the business world know that when a, a new business starts up, 80% of uh, businesses fail within the first five years, right? You know that. What do you think the percentage is for church plants of failure in the first five years? It's about 80%. Now, we weren't talking about this five years ago, but many of us were certainly aware of this. Most church plants fail within five years. They, they get together for a while. They try to do some stuff. And they're like, yeah, this isn't working out. And they go their separate ways. Here we are, five years later. And, I, and nobody, said, nobody has come, you know, sent me an email saying, ah, Brian, this isn't working out. We think we should just disband as a congregation. In fact, I think there's a lot of energy in the life of the congregation of, all right, let's keep moving ahead. But I think five years of abundance and growth is something worth celebrating. Second thing I want to lift up as we look forward, and I, and I think, again, I think this was just embedded into the DNA of our congregation, is early on we said we don't want to be just a, a same old, same old church. We don't want to be a church 2.0, a version of, you know, maybe the last church that we were at. But we truly want to go in a new direction. And we decided early on we're not going to just be Christians, people in, uh, who call themselves Jesus followers, Christians. We're going to be disciples. Because a Christian is someone who believes in Jesus, and they may or not uh, revolve the rest of their lives around uh, being a follower of Jesus. But a disciple is someone who says, I'm going to believe in Jesus and I'm going to try really hard to revolve my entire life around what it means to be a Jesus follower. There's action involved in being a disciple of Jesus. Some of you know um, that I don't use the word Christian a lot here in the life of our congregation, and that's very intentional, because I'm not really interested in some of you showing up and saying, oh, I believe in Jesus, and then the other six days of the week living your lives as you're not a Jesus follower. Not interested in that. This is why we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, and our mission statement is growing disciples, that's you and me, we are growing disciples people who live into what it means to be a Jesus follower, who grow disciples, who pour into other people and help other people and encourage other people in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so, I, isn't that a great picture of Roger up there and uh, Julie? It's awesome. By the way, that's on our, our website. And uh, I just think that picture captures so much, I think, of who we are um, just, you know, big smiles, this welcoming presence, and I hear this from you guys all the time. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I want to kind of unpack this a little bit. First and foremost, it means uh, centering our lives around Scripture, centering our lives around the Word of God. And many of you were here a, a couple of years ago when uh, the invitation was put out there, uh, the challenge was put out there to read through the Bible cover to cover, Genesis through Revelation, 
And so many of you spent all of 2021 reading through Scripture. Many of you said to me, this is the first time I've ever read through the entire Bible. I've been going to church for years, for decades, and this year in 2021, I read through the Bible for the first time. And others of you were like, hey, I read through the Bible again, and it was awesome, and it really spoke to me in new ways. And so this is what we do. This is what disciples do, is we look at the Word of God, and we're like, all right, we're going to read this, we're going to study this, we're going to talk about this, we're not going to skip over the hard parts, right? You know, some people are just like, ah, I'm just, I just want to read the stuff that makes me feel good. I just want to read the stuff that I already believe. We said, no, we're not doing that. We're going to read it all. And, and the really difficult passages we're going to wrestle with, we're going to struggle with. And so we did that in 2021. And then in 2022, uh, we, of course, said, okay, what we're going to do is instead of reading through the whole Bible, we're going to dig deep into the Gospel of John. And I know many of you have been reading through uh, John this year. And so what we're going to do um, in 2023, next year, right, because we're almost done, or, you know, in terms of this book, there's just a few more days. Do you guys know that? Yeah, you're like, okay, now what are we doing? In fact, this past week, I've met with a couple of you, and some of you have said to me, now what are we going to do? And I'm like, I'm glad you asked. We're going to keep reading the Bible, because some of you, many of you, I'll even say most of you have developed some really good habits of reading Scripture every single day. And I just thought, you know, we, we, we don't want to lose the momentum there. We, we just, we're going to keep reading Scripture. And so what we're going to do uh, in 2023, and you can get a, a head start on this, is we are going to continue to read through Scripture, but in yet a different way from reading through the entire Bible and reading through the Gospel of John. We are going to go through um, a, a, a devotional that's got Scripture every single day and then some commentary on that Scripture. It's called Today in the Word. And it's put out by Moody Bible Institute. And so I'm going to invite uh, you all to download the app on your phone so you can just read it every single day right off your app, or you can sign up to have an email sent to your house, uh, to your computer or your phone uh, every single day where you can just read Scripture every single day and then some uh, commentary around that particular scripture. Now, some of you are like really old school and like, yeah, I don't do computers. I, well, that's okay because uh, we will also make available some printed copies of this devotional. And I think one of the benefits of going through this uh, today in the word together is that we're all reading the same thing. And it gives us this invitation and an opportunity to talk about it and to discuss it. And say, hey, what did you think about the Bible reading this past week? Well, I didn't really like it. Or, man, it really challenged me. Or, oh, I just really needed to hear that. And so it gives us some common language as we continue to be rooted in the Word of God. And so we're going to continue in 2023 to read God's Word every single day. The second thing we're going to focus on in 2023, uh, maybe not surprisingly, is weekly worship. And this is what disciples of Jesus do, is they gather together in weekly worship. Not when it's convenient, not when you feel like coming to church, not when the weather is good outside. What we do is we say, hey, I'm going to church this Sunday. I, I, that, I'm organizing my life around the gathering of God's people and worshiping God. This is what a disciple of Jesus Christ does. A Christian shows up to worship every now and then when it's convenient, when they feel like it, when they're, when they're down and they need a little bit of inspiration. Oh no, we disciples of Jesus Christ, we're going to be like, this is what we're doing. 
We're showing up every single week. We're going to worship God and we're going to be with God's people. And what we're going to do in 2023 is we're going to look at 34 different characters or individuals from Scripture and how they live their lives, how God used them in their lives. And it's, it's based, I'll just say loosely, uh, on this book called Discover Your Gifts, uh, Celebrating How God Made You and Everyone You Know. So this is the inspiration um, for this uh, weekly worship. And so this, week, uh, this year was a 44-week sermon, sermon series. Next year, it'll be a 34-week sermon series. So it's a little bit shorter. But I want to invite you guys to be here every week. And, oh, I know you go to Florida and go see the kids and the grandkids and all that. And that's good. And that's why we do the online, right? But if you're in town, I really want to invite you to make this a priority to be coming to church every single week so we can gather together and listen, read God's word and really listen to God's word and discover how he wants us to live our lives. Next, um, we're going to gather together in life groups in 2023. And I know many of you are a part of a life group. Uh, this year in 2022, uh, we, about 70 of you are participating in a life group, which is awesome. And I've said to our leadership team, hey, I think we should aim for 100 people in life groups next year. So I actually sat down with our life group leaders and said, hey, can you guys make room for more people uh, to be in our life groups? They're like, we can do that. And so they're going to really stretch, and we're all going to really stretch to have an extra chair at the table uh, for some new people to be a part of a life group. And I want to invite you to do that twice a month. We call it relational discipleship because this is what Jesus did. This was the model of Jesus for growing disciples. Sometimes he taught, sometimes he preached, sometimes you know, he would do what we think of in church. But most of the time, Jesus just hung out with people, shared a meal together, go fishing together. And I want to invite you to do that uh, in 2023, twice a month, gather together with a life group. Disciples also serve. I've said this a thousand times, it seems like. Being a Jesus follower is not a spectator sport. We don't just come and, and hear what the preacher has to say, or we don't just come and watch what other people do, but we come and we actively serve in ministry in the community outside these four walls and most certainly here. You know, these chairs that you're sitting on this morning, they didn't just set themselves up. There were a handful of people that came in early this morning and said, hey, we want to be a part of creating an environment for the, the body of Christ to gather together. Some of you stood out and outside this morning and welcomed people and set up flags and, you know, boards and all that stuff. You were, it was cold this morning, right? And some of you were like, this is what we, we think this is really important. And so I want to invite you to think of how you might be serving on Sunday morning um, maybe just once a month in 2023. But then the other time, I want to invite you to serve, to partner with one of our uh, outreach partners, uh, Spark International uh, Mission, Carriage Crossing. Some of you guys need to start going over to Carriage Crossing once a month and helping to lead the worship service. And you're like, I can't do that. I've never done that before. Okay, well, we'll equip you. We'll walk alongside you. As, as Brad said last week, I'll show up the first week with you. You guys, some of you guys really need to be stretched to move outside of your comfort zone. And if you've never served in the life of the church before, go to Midwest Food Bank. It's like the easiest way to serve. It's like the most fun way to serve. And you'll be like, oh, this is really awesome. It's a great way to serve out in the community and in the world. 
Don't just stop there. That's, it's a great jumping on point. Soar. Um, and the baby fold. So these, these are some of our, our, our partners. And if you're doing the same old things that you're really comfortable doing, that's awesome. You're not growing and stretching yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I really want to encourage you uh, to stretch and grow uh, with those uh, ministry partners. Now, those of you who've been coming to faith for a while, you know um, that what God has really placed on our hearts is church planting. We were a church plant five years ago, and uh, this is the fifth congregation uh, that I've been a part of that I've been able to serve in. And when people ask me how things are going at faith or, you know, if I like it and all that good stuff, I always tell them, I've never been more fulfilled in ministry. I've never been more uh, uh, just encouraged uh, by the body of Christ. I've never loved being a pastor more than I love being a pastor of this congregation. I mean, there's something really, really special about being a part of a, of a church plant. I had uh, lunch with a couple this past week who's moved away, and uh, they moved away quite a while ago, and so we're just kind of catching up a little bit, and they visited a whole bunch of churches in this new community where they're at, and they said, we can't find a new church. I'm like, well, tell me about that. And so the more they talked and shared with me about that kind of this new journey they're on, finally they said, we were kind of spoiled at faith. I'm like, yeah, me too. It's a pretty special place. And there's something really powerful about being a part of church planting. And, and I love this imagery of all these hands coming together and there's dirt in the middle and there's just new seed, you know, this new seedling, this new life coming up. And there's just something really, really powerful. That's been our experience as a church plant. And so what we really felt like is we want to help other people experience what we have experienced uh, here as well. So, I want to invite you in 2023 to be thinking about how you might be supporting Church Plant, one of our five church plants. Our first church plant was in 2019, where we started helping this congregation. And I'm not going to give you all the details with all this. Uh, this group of people, it wasn't a congregation, it was just a remnant of people. We encouraged them and supported them when we prayed for them. Over and over and over. And this is how uh, St. Martin Lutheran Church began in Atlanta, Georgia. That was 2019. In 2020, we started supporting uh, a young couple in Decatur, Illinois. They, had a, they were just doing a Bible study at their house. All of a sudden, all these people are showing up. And several of us came to them and said, hey, you really should consider praying about starting a church. Oh, and so we helped them to start a church and we continue to be a relationship and we continue to support them and then encourage them. Uh, then in uh, 2021, last, uh, two years ago, we started supporting the Sun Life Network in Albania, church planning. And it's just continued to go. This past spring, we started uh, working alongside, coming alongside the Salt Company right here on the ISU campus. And then this summer, We've been working with Cana Lutheran Church in Washington, Illinois. And it's just been showing up and encouraging and praying with people. We didn't know how to plant churches. But we just believed that God was going to lead us in this. So last month when I preached at Cana Lutheran Church in Washington, a group of our youth went over there. And they helped take care of the kids in the, in, in the children's ministry over there and, and kind of did all that. But more than anything, they just showed up. What is church planning about? It's just about showing up. Call it a ministry of presence. Just being there to encourage people, saying, you guys can do this. We did it. You can do it. 
We don't know how, but just keep going. There's something really, really powerful about just showing up. I'm going over to uh, Washington this afternoon at 5 o'clock and preaching again. And I know some of you have been over there. You just show up. You don't have any great skills. You're not expert church planners. But you just show up and you, you walk up to people and shake their hand and say, God bless you. I'm so proud of you, that, you, that you've been obedient and following Jesus Christ. Keep at it. You guys can keep doing this. I'll see you in about a year. That's what we do is we just show up over and over and over. And I want to encourage, I want to challenge each one of you to show up at one of our church plants. On a Sunday morning, rather than coming here, drive down to Decatur, to Covenant Reformed Baptist Church, and hang out with them for the morning. Just sit where you're sitting down there. Then at some point in time, just introduce yourself to the pastor and his wife and, and the people in the congregation and say, man, this is awesome. You guys are doing it. You're doing the church. Or go over to Washington on a Sunday evening. Just encourage people. Some of, you try, some of you guys work for State Farm. I know you do. And you go to Atlanta every now and then. I want you, next time you go on a business trip to Atlanta, Sunday morning, show up at St. Martin Lutheran Church and say, I'm from Bloomington, Illinois, Faith Lutheran Church. They'll be like, you guys are awesome. They're going to be, and you're going to just say, I'm just here to support you. I'm just here to encourage you. Next time you go to Atlanta, show up at the church and just bless them. Or bring a meal over to the ISU campus. There's nothing special about it. You just cook and bring a meal. Bring a couple pizzas. They'll eat pizza, trust me. When you bring pizza to those college students, they're just like, oh, thank you. We're not alone in this. This is what it means to be church planners. It's just showing up and encouraging people, walking alongside them over and over. This has nothing to do with us here at Faith, right? This is all how our, we are growing the kingdom of God out in this world. This past week, as I was um, kind of preparing for this morning, I was looking at these other churches and doing a little bit of mental math. We worship about 75, 80 people on a Sunday morning in this place. But if you look at all the church plants, how many other folks are gathering together? There is well over 400 people gathering this morning through the church plants that we have supported. Think about that for a moment. Our kingdom impact is at least four to five times of who's gathered here on Sunday morning. This is, what, this is why we do what we do. It's not about gathering people here. It's about growing the kingdom of God. And, and we're not going to see a lot of these people. We'll probably never meet a lot of these people. But it's the right thing to do because this is what Jesus told us to do, is to make disciples. And so we're going to be about church planting. And I have to bring this up. Um, because uh, we talk about this every year. God gave us a vision to plant a 1,000 churches over the next 40 years. You guys know this, right? Just a 1,000 churches. And so Bridget created this great slide. We only, need to make, we only need to plant 10 churches. That's our job. We're the, our generation. We're pouring into the next generation, and we're going to plant 10 really healthy churches and as we're planning those 10 healthy churches, we are inviting each of those churches to plant 10 more churches. And if each of those 10 churches plant 10 more churches, boom, we're at 1,000 churches. We're going to have children and grandchildren, future generations. We can do this, folks. But we've got to all be involved in what it means to be just really focused on that next generation. We've put, we're in the process of planting five churches right now. We've got 995 to go. 35 years, we got work to do. We got to keep at it. 
And I've thrown a lot at you this morning. You might be having lots of questions of how do we do this? How do we do all this? This just feels like a lot. This feels overwhelming. Because I know you guys are busy. You've got already got a lot going on in your lives. I want to get back to Lewis and Clark for just a moment. How in the world did they make it to the Pacific Ocean? They had a guide. They had a trail guide. Sacagawea. And each and every day they had to wake up and listen to her. This was not unfamiliar territory for them. They had never been this way before, but she had. These were her people. She knew the way, and she knew not only how to survive in the woods, but she knew how to lead them and guide them. And when we think about the story of Lewis and Clark, the most important person in that story was not Lewis and Clark. It was our trail guide. I think we can never forget who our trail guide is. It's the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us every step of the way. Jesus promised before he went to the cross that he would give us a trail guide. In John 16, he says this, there's so much more I want to tell you now, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes... When the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. We have a trail guide, the Holy Spirit, who's leading us and guiding us. And there's a lot that we're, I don't understand and we don't understand in 2023 and beyond. But we're invited to trust in our trail guide and how the Holy Spirit leads us. It's going to be a lot, a lot of questions. And so as we're going into the future, thinking about where the Lord is leading us, my prayer is that we would not get hung up on the details of the things that we need to know, like those expert fishermen, but that we would truly trust the voice of God, that he is leading us and guiding us into the future. And this is how the Gospel of John ends. And I think this is the invitation for us as well as we look ahead, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for the Gospel of John. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you use this disciple to record the life of Jesus. God, we thank you for using the lives of these men and women who oftentimes got it wrong over and over and over. And yet you loved them, you walked alongside them, you forgave them, and you restored the relationship with them. God, that's us. That's our story. We continue to mess up. We continue to get it wrong. And yet you love us. You care for us. And you've given us the Holy Spirit to keep going, to keep looking to you. Even when we don't understand, we just follow you, God, in obedience. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.